listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. So when I was like, uh, I was probably around 14 years old or a little younger, I was deer hunting down in West Virginia with my family. My dad's side is from West Virginia in the mountains. Now back when we uh, hunted, uh, the way that those guys did it was they did what were called drives. And this is where a line of guys, and you'd be spread out quite far apart going through the mountains, and you would kind of push forward through an area and drive the game in a particular direction, and then there would be people on the other end who would harvest the game appropriately uh, when they moved in their direction. And I was on one of those drives one day. I was on the end of a drive. And if you've been in the mountains of West Virginia, you know, I mean, those, those woods just can go on forever and ever. There's like no houses, no, no roads, no anything. You're just, you can go on forever. And I was out in the woods, and I was at the end of a drive, and somehow it was the last drive of the day, and I got lost. Anybody ever been lost in the woods? It's a creepy feeling, isn't it? Especially if you're at the end of the day. And I was at the, it was at the end of the day and I realized I am so totally lost. I have no idea where I was. And so I started shouting because I was in a line of guys. And one of the things you do is we all howled like dogs or yelled or screamed or whatever, you know, as we were going through the woods. And I hadn't heard anybody in a long time. So I'm like, hey, is anybody there? And nobody was there. And it was a scary, I'm telling you, my fear meter was pegged right over in red hugely, and, and I was scared to death. And I'm thinking to myself, do I try to walk out of here? Because I'd read the stories. I knew about how people could go in circles when they're lost, and then they end up, I'd seen the images on the big screen, you know, people that it's cold and you just end up dying, you know, you end up in this, <laughs> in this place where, where, the, where you're, you're just icicles and it's just a horrible thing, you know, and, 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 and that's kind of what I thought maybe my future was holding, and I'm scared to death, and I'm half crying, and I'm, I shot my rifle three times, three perfectly spaced times, because that's supposed to indicate, you know, somebody's in trouble. Of course, in West Virginia, it just means you shot three different things. It doesn't mean anybody's in trouble, and and, 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 and so I'm scared to death, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to die out here, and it's dark now, and I'm just, is anybody there? And then I hear this voice, I'll never forget it, because it was my uncle, he'd come up in the woods, and out of the dark comes this voice that says, shut up, you dummy, you're not lost. I'm like, yes, I am. You know, I, I was scared to death, and I was, I was afraid, and I was ashamed because I had been afraid and crying, and he'd busted me doing that, and, and it was just a terrible thing. But you know what the crazy part in the whole getting lost thing was? is that when we walked up out of there, we were probably roughly no more than 200 yards. We walked up the ridge, and we were there in the field of the old home place, which I knew really well. I'd been around there since I was very young because we'd go down and visit family where my dad was raised. We were right there. I was in spitting distance from the home place, and yet I was completely lost. Now, this doesn't just happen in the woods, folks. You know, this happens in life, too. Would you all agree with that? I mean, sometimes you can be so close to what you know you're supposed to be, should be, and yet you just feel like you're completely lost. You don't know who you are. You get lost from what your true identity is. And Jesus tells a story. Many of you are familiar with this story. And I'm going to ask you to read it out of Scripture. So we have Bibles, and they're located behind or under the chairs. You don't have to do this, but I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen, all right? So I'd love to have you read along. Luke chapter 15. Open your Bible app on your phone. Or use one of our Bibles. In our Bibles, it's page 730. But 
Turn to Luke chapter 15, and Jesus tells a story, which I think is very instructive. I think it, it speaks about something that, that happens a lot in our lives. And we're going to pick up with verse 11. So Jesus is telling this story, and he says, there was a man who had two what? Sons. All right, some of you have found it. That's good. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, he's asking for his inheritance before dad's even died, which is crazy enough. But it says the dad divided his property between them, and not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his what? Wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, so he's now broke, he's got nothing in a foreign distant place, a distant country, it says there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need, and so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now remember, Jesus is telling this story to people who were Jews, and of course, pork or pigs to Jews is bad, it's not good, and so these guys are going, this guy couldn't have fallen any further. And it says he was so hungry, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods, the food that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 27, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, I'm starving to death. So this is, he gets this idea. I set out, go back to my dad and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now the son starts then this line that he'd worked out in his head. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he could finish it, it says the father said to his servants, quick, 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 bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, Bring the fattened calf, kill it, let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was what? Lost and he's found. And so they begin to celebrate. This is a, an amazing story, really. I love this story because it really speaks to the love of a father and everything. But probably what it speaks most strongly to is how lost you can become from who you really are. How lost this young man became from who he really was. He was the son of a loving father who when he came to his senses went back there to who he really was, the son of a loving father. And it's a remarkable story. And this is something to be noted now. I'm going to be talking about this because when you lose sight of your true identity, you can get so messed up. You can get so messed up. Of course, if you read this story, you know that it's not just about this younger son. There's also another young man in this story, who in many ways is just as lost, and that is the older brother. Let's read on. This is now verse, uh, whatever it is, the next verse, verse 25. Yeah, okay. Uh, When you're my age, you can't see. It's like, what is that? All right. So meanwhile, it says, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. So, well, your brother came, and, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So the father went out with him and he pleaded with him. 
But the son, in his anger, he answered his father and said, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? I can kind of hear him. It's like, seriously? You're celebrating this guy who's done, made such of a mess of his life? And then the father speaks to him and says, My son, you're always with me, and everything I have is what? It's yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and, he, and, and he's found. See, what the other older brother didn't realize and what his dad didn't say to him, but he could have, is apparently he's just as lost as the younger brother was. The younger brother had lost sight of his identity. He was the son of a loving father. He could come back to him. He was out of place when he'd left home. He wandered from his true identity, but the boy who'd stayed home, the young man who said, I'm here, I'm doing everything right, I'm following up, he'd lost himself too because he's so angry and he's so bitter. And yet remember what the father said to him. Let me just read it to you again. He said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Now if he had clear identity, if he really knew who he was, he would have realized that he was loved by his father, that he was Everything his dad had was his. It was okay. He was with his dad. He could have celebrated his brother who had come home. He should have. But instead, he's bitter and he's angry because he has lost his identity. He doesn't see who he is anymore. Which is a common malady for all of mankind. All of us struggle with this very thing. See, here's the thing, whether you look like the younger brother and you've made a mess of your life and you've screwed everything up and people around you are like, what is wrong with you? Or you're like the older brother and you've been a hard worker and you've been solid and you've been steady and you've done everything right. It doesn't matter who you are. All of us struggle with this idea of knowing, who am I really? Who am I? We experience a sense of lost identity in our lives on a fairly regular basis. And this is because there are so many things in life that I would describe as identity traps. They kind of pull us in. They, they kind of speak to us, and we start to identify with wrong things, and we stop being who we are and start trying to be what we think maybe we're supposed to be. Let me give you just a few of the identity traps, and I think most of you will resonate with these because all of us struggle with these at different levels, at different times in our lives. Here's one that many of us struggle with, is that we begin to see ourselves as what we do. I am what I do. This happens, and in fact, this is one of the hardest ones to get away from because we live in a culture that celebrates our successes, our victories, what we do for a living. So how do we describe ourselves? You introduce yourself to somebody, and one of the first things you do is you tell them who you are. I am a builder. I am a teacher. I am a doctor. I am a whatever, a stay-at-home mom. I am this. And and, and that's all fine and good because those are our successes. Those are things we're doing good. Probably if we're saying that kind of stuff, there's nothing wrong with that. We should celebrate our successes. That's all fine. But what we don't understand is, is that these things, these, these things that we do, they have a tendency to try to weave their way into our soul until we find our identity there. And the problem comes when you're not doing so well with what you've done good. 
And suddenly, if you lose, for example, you lose your job. I cannot tell you how many people I've talked to over the years who had done really well in their work, and then because of downsizing or because of some freak thing that happened, suddenly they were not doing what they'd been doing for a living and been very successful at. And it's like they would say to me, I've, I've heard this statement so many times, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even, I, I don't even know who I am. Because what they'd done is they had identified with what they did for a living. I am a builder. I am a farmer. I am a this. I am a that. But your true identity is not in what you do. Because when it is, then what happens is you, you have to spend all your time desperately working to make sure you're doing really good. You have to be a success. You have to be great. You have to be amazing. Because if you aren't, then you're nothing. And when your identity is stuck right here, I am what I do, man, it causes people to get so screwed up, and this happens to so many of us. In fact, I would say this trap is the biggest for people who do stuff really well. You're a good athlete, or you're good at your job, and you start to identify with it, and you see that's who I am. Here's another trap. Often people start to think, and this is often for insecure people, they think I am what people say about me. We start to believe the things that people say about us, people around us, we want them to say good things. You know, if you're insecure, you know, you, you kind of want them to say good things about you, you want to hear good things about you, so you find yourself being anxious that you please everybody. Some of you have some of, some of us sometimes will say this. We'll say, well, I'm kind of a people pleaser. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand if that's you because you'd just be doing it to please me by lifting your hand. You know, it, just, it gets so complicated. But you say, I'm a people pleaser. And really what you are is, is you're someone who wants to make sure that people are saying good things about you. Because as long as they're saying good things about you, then you feel pretty good. But when they start saying dark stuff about you, which people will, has anybody noticed that? When they start saying bad stuff about you, then you feel like, who am I? What's wrong with me? I'm a failure. I'm a failure. And some of us are spending our lives doing these complicated dances all the time because we're trying to please everybody and make them like us and make ourselves feel like, well, we must be okay because they're all saying good things about us. But it's wearing you out. This is particularly a difficult thing for people who are insecure. So those of you who have been around, you've heard me talk about it. I've fought insecurity my whole life. So this is one. This is an idea. I fall into this one too, but, but I think we all fall into all of them at some different levels, but I fall into this one. I am what people say about me. I mean, you think about it. So part of what I do for a living is I stand up in front of groups of people and I speak. So on any given weekend, you know, the, the talk that I give is going to be heard you know, between the people who attend TVCs at the different campuses and, 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 and between you know, electronic means, digital means, and all that. Thousands of people will listen to that talk. And so for me, every talk I give, it may be different for other people, but when I give a talk, to me it's like a a piece of artwork. It's like I'm making a painting, and I want everybody to like it. Well, if you paint something and somebody sees it, you want them to say, nice, you don't want them to go, what is that? You know, you you don't want that. You want them to say, that looks really nice. And so when you're a little bit insecure, you know, I want people to go, that was, that was really good. But you understand what my dilemma is, right? If I do my job right, I'm supposed to tick you off on a semi-regular basis. What do you think that does for an insecure person? It's like, if I actually do what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to make you mad at me sometimes. And then you're like, 
Who do you think you are? Sometimes I'll actually see it in church. I'll see somebody looking at me like, I hate you right now. I hate you. And in me, there's this little thing that just twists inside. So, so on any given weekend, you're going to have countless people who say, well, that was boring, or that was mediocre at best, or that talk, was, I, didn't even, I can't remember a thing he said, so it was stupid, or he wasn't funny enough, or whatever. And if I spend my life trying to make sure that everybody says you're wonderful, I will be exhausted and miserable because that is not who I am supposed to be. But we get caught in these traps. I am what I do. I am what people say about me. Here's another one that you find in an affluent culture like ours. I am what I have. And oh, we struggle with this one, don't we? Yeah, no, nobody's nodding their head or anything. They're like, no, not me. No, uh-uh. No, no, no. We all struggle with this one. Now, let me just ask you a question, all right? You, you just think about this, all right? I won't even ask you to respond. But I wonder how many of you believe, like I do, that every single person sitting in this room, including the people listening online, unless they're in some third world country in a desperate situation, that every single one of us, even the person who has the least possessions and the least money, we still have, when it comes right down to it, more than we need. Do you think that's true? We have more than we need. And I know some of you are going, you don't know how much I, no, 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 no. I know you think you need a ton of stuff, but you got, at least from what I can see from here, everybody's got clothes on their back. Thank God for that. You know, they're all, we're all dressed, and you're well-fed enough to be here, and you had transportation, you get here. You have actually more than you need. But what do you want? What? See, most of you are like, more, 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 more. We want more. We, do, we, we, we want more. What is it in us that wants more? There's something in us that loves to find its identity in what we have, in our possessions. And you know how this goes. You get some new thing, and it's really cool for about 15 minutes or until you see somebody with one that's a little better. And you would never say, well, now I don't like this because that one's better. You don't even know that that thought process is happening, but it is there. And suddenly, you need something more. You need a little bit more, and it's in us. And so what happens is, is we find in these things, what I do, what people say about me, what I have, we find identity. Of course, Jesus knows that we're like this. In fact, he kind of comes down on us strongly at one point. He says to them, he says to his followers, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of what? Greed, Greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's not about what you have. You are not what you have. But here's the deal. All of these traps that we get caught in, identity traps, they're so easy. Just like these two brothers fall into these false identities, it's so easy to get away from who you really are. And we see ourselves based on what people say about us or how good our accomplishments are or or how much we have, and they are not you. Obviously, they're part of you, but they're not you. And I think where we miss this is we, we, we don't understand. I know some of you, you're not sure where you're at with Christianity. You're not sure you believe in God and all that. And I, I respect that. I really do. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to hear this. You are not what you do. You are not what you have. You're not what people say you are. You are a beloved child of God. That is your true identity. 
And it is so important to understand that. You know, Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, he has an encounter with a man named John the Baptist. And something really supernatural and powerful happens. Let's take a look at this. Found in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It says, Jesus comes from Nazareth in Galilee, and he's baptized by John in the Jordan. So he's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens. This would be the voice of God the Father. And he says, you are my what? Beloved son. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. I love this right here. This is so cool. It's like as Jesus starts his ministry, the Father just kind of reaches down and touches him in such a powerful way with a dove that comes down. The Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. And he says, hey, buddy. I know that's my term, you know, my, the Jeff paraphrase, all right? But I see it. Hey, buddy. I so love you. You are my son. And I am well pleased with you. I'm proud of you. If you know the story, you know that Jesus went from there out in the wilderness where he was tested by, he had fasted for 40 days and then the enemy comes to test him with real identity traps. But Jesus, based on his baptism experience, that encounter with the Father who says, you are my beloved. He faces every temptation. He faces every struggle. He goes through amazing things in his ministry all with this ongoing awareness that he was the beloved. Here's the beautiful part of it, is that it doesn't just happen to Jesus. Jesus then takes this experience and passes it on to us. And these are the red-letter words that we're reading this weekend. They were on the magnet, hopefully, that you were handed on the way in. And they're what I hope will be burned into your thinking this week. Jesus says now to us, his followers, as the Father has loved me, remember, hey, buddy, You are my beloved son. As the Father has loved me, so I have what? So I have loved you. Now he says, you remain in my love. Don't you miss this. Don't you miss this. I love you. You are loved by the creator of the universe. You don't get it because you deserve it. You don't get it because you earned it. You don't get it because of just some random thing. You get it because he chose you and he loves you. Amen? And that is your true identity. And I think some of us, you're here this weekend, you're watching online or you're listening to a podcast right now on a walk or a jog somewhere, and you're hearing this because you need to be reminded that you are not your successes or failures. You are not the stuff you have. You are not whatever people are saying about you. You are the beloved child of God. Do not forget that truth. In fact, I think it'd be good for us just to say this out loud. Would you join me and just say this out loud? I am the beloved. Let's say it again with a little more energy. I am the beloved. I'm the beloved. In fact, why don't you... If you're by somebody you know, even if you don't, that's fine too. Just turn and look at them and just say, say it like you're the only one. I am the beloved. Come on, just turn to it. Give, give them a little attitude. You are the beloved. You are. You are. And this is so powerful. When you get this, whatever comes your way, when you understand, I, I am the beloved, when you get this on the inside, 
when temptation, when discouragement, when pain, when struggle, and it happens, and it happens to all of us, when it comes, and it will come, something changes in you. Instead of feeling great angst and an attitude of, I don't know what I'm going to do, how am I going to make it, I'll never get through this, it'll never happen. There's something in you when this is in front of you that says basically, you know what, I don't know what it's going to look like, and in the end it doesn't matter because I am loved by the one who created the stars and the heavens and the earth and people, and if he is big enough to do that, then it's going to be okay. Amen? It's going to be all right. It changes how you deal with life. Something happens and you you find that you are, again, don't miss me on this. I'm not saying that you won't have feelings of fear, that you won't get hit by things. But it changes something inside you when it is right here in front of you. I am the beloved. It's like there's more peacefulness. It's like, you know, this may suck for a while, but it's going to be all right. And I know something, did he just say that in church? I did. Because some things in life suck. Would you agree? And it's okay. Because when you know you're the beloved, you know, I don't understand always what God's up to. I don't know why I'm going through this. And I don't particularly like it. And if if I was choosing, I might choose differently. But I am the beloved child of the creator of the universe who is all knowledgeable and all present and all powerful. So it's going to be all right. I'm just telling you, I think sometimes we miss the power of this because it's like we, you know, and I know I do. Trust me on this. I am, I, I am preaching to myself because I get those things. They come at you and you feel overwhelmed sometimes. And you have to remind yourself, I may not like this and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God's still God, I'm still not, and it's all right. Oh my gosh, some of us need to hear that. Can I say it again? God's still God, I'm still not, and it's going to be all right. Don't lose sight of that, folks. Don't miss that, because there's enormous power in this idea. I I think sometimes if we just get it out in front of us and keep it there, and I've told this story before, but nothing in my life illustrates it better. There was this kid when I was in junior high, back in the dark ages when I was in school, all right? When I was in junior high, there was this kid who was the class, he was the bully of the junior high. He was a grade older than me, and he was such a mean guy. I have no idea what kind of rotten home life he had, but he was such a mean, nasty guy, and he intimidated everybody, and every time I saw him, I felt fear rise up. Everybody did. It was like when they saw him, they avoided him. He was always just looking, had his radar up, looking for somebody to pick on. When I'd see him, I'd go the other way. If I was walking down a street in town, I would cross to the other side of the street because I did not want to have a confrontation. He'd beat kids up. He was just mean and nasty, and I remember I would see him, and I would, I'd go to the other side of the street, except for one Friday night as I was walking to a football game. I saw him coming down on the same side of the street as I was, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. And I'm thinking about going to the other side of the street when the thought hit me, wait a minute. I'm not walking alone. I was walking next to my dad, who never went to football games with me. But that night he was there, and I'm walking next to that, and it was amazing what simply the awareness of the fact that I was walking with my father did inside me. Because I went from, i got to go to the other side of the street, to Really? 
You think you're going to intimidate me? My dad will take you out with one hand tied behind his back. Yay! It changed everything in me. And I think sometimes what happens is we lose sight of this. We lose sight of the fact that we are the beloved. And that we are beloved children of a God who is all-powerful and who will take care of us and who loves us. Here's what I think. Here's the problem, is I think that you can know this in your head. See, this is the deal. Christians struggle with identity crisis every bit as much as everyone else does. Because everything in the world tries to get you thinking differently than what your true identity is. And here's what I think. I think we can have it up here, but I think it really doesn't work in the clutch until we get it down here. And someone has said, and I agree with this, the longest distance in the world is the 15 or so inches between your head and your heart. Anybody agree with that one? It's like we can sit in here in church and I can say, you are the beloved, I'm the beloved, and we're all like, yay, and then we walk outside and something happens, we're like, ah, you know, it's, it's like, that's how quick it changes, just like that, just like that, because having it here doesn't mean it's necessarily down here, and the only way, this is me and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think the only way that you can get it down here is that you have to consistently be working on what's inside you on your inner person on your heart. I think you have to consistently be in some type of ongoing connection with God. You have to have that because otherwise you get sucked into identity traps and you lose sight of who you are. And the only way I know to do that is if you're working on what's going on the inside of you. And so I, my, you know, the, the biggest point in this talk is, is if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the beloved. Don't forget it. But the second point, which I think is critically important is, is if you want to really have that when you're in the difficult place and it's there and it's real in front of you, that awareness of your father with you, that you're a beloved child of God, you've got to work on your inside regularly. I love what author Parker Palmer says. This is a quote that I, I thought you would appreciate. He says, if people skip, skimp on their inner work, their outer work will suffer, will, will suffer as well. If you skimp on your inner work, your outer work will suffer as well. And it's just true. It's true. So many of the things that we're blaming on other people, it's really not their fault, and it's not because circumstances, bad things happen to us. It's because we're not doing any inner work. I I, I wrote it this way. Everything about you flows from within you. And that is a fact. Jesus says it this way. I say everything about you flows from within you. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6.45, he says, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's good, isn't it? The mouth speaks. So sometimes you go, I know I said that. I know I said all this stuff, but you know that's not what's in my heart. Uh, I beg to differ with you. Now, I understand there may be other things in your heart. There may be some good things there. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that we're not putting any work into our inner life. And there's a mistake. And I think, I think this is where we, in, in, in many ways, we make a mess of our lives. And I'm just going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you in any way I know how just to say to you, <laughs> please hear me on this. If you skimp on your inner work, the outer work's going to suffer in your life. Oh, you're going to complain. Well, if circumstances, if the economy, if the rain, if, the, you know, if my wife, if we, whatever it is, you can blame everybody. But I'm just going to say this as loving as I know how. If you don't do the inner work, 
a lot of that's your own darn fault. Here's why. Here's why. Because bad stuff happens to everyone. You know, we love to whine. I am a... I, I believe I've received my doctorate in whining. I know how to do it. Everybody, everybody's pretty good at it. Some, some of us are better than others. But we all love to whine about our circumstances. Let, let's just be honest. Can we be honest here? Everybody gets hurt. Everybody loses loved ones. Everybody gets betrayed at one time or another in their life. Everybody has things go south on them. Everybody has things go sideways and they go through struggles and difficulties. Everybody has that kind of stuff happen. Everybody does. The problem is not the stuff that happens to you. The problem is what you do with the stuff that happens to you. Don't make me say it again, all right? Somebody gave me a t-shirt last week and it says, that's good preaching right there, Pastor Jeff. Okay, I guess I've said it too much, all right? Now it's a t-shirt. It's not the stuff that comes at you and happens to you. It's what you do in response to that. It's what you do with it. And that can vary person by person, and it will vary based on if you do the inner work or not. Everybody gets yelled at. Everybody gets criticized. Everybody has people treat them meanly. Everybody goes through bad stuff. Whining about it doesn't do you a bit of good. It's what you do in response that makes the difference. And that's a result of choosing to do the inner work. So I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to give you an acronym, all right? And I made this up on my own, and so it's probably, it's a good, good possibility you're going to think it's very cheesy, but you can decide that on your own, all right? But I believe that if you don't soak in the presence of God with some regularity, if you don't take time to do that, you are not working on your inner man. So, so my acronym is SOAK, all right? I know, I know. Just, just be nice to me, all right? Remember, I'm insecure, all right? Just, just all right, here, here's what the S stands for. I think, I think if, you're gonna, if, you're gonna, if you're gonna work on the inside, you can't do it on the run. It's my observation, maybe I'm wrong, but I really think that true work comes with reflection. You have to stop. You have to stop. I know, I know some of you are going, if you knew how busy my life was, if you knew everything I had, I'm barely keeping myself sane, running these kids around and doing all these things that are happening. And I'm empathetic to the struggle that you're going through. But I'm telling you that you do have time. You have time for what you make time for. And I'm just saying that if you don't consistently stop, well, we read this scripture last weekend, in the Old Testament, God says, be still and know that. Stop. Be still. Stop. And know that I am God. And I think if we do not do that, then we miss opportunity to make a connection with God. And I think we have to do this on a regular basis in our lives, a very regular basis. In fact, I would argue that you have to do it on a daily basis, maybe even multiple times in a day, but I think you have to do it on a daily basis. This is God's promise. God says, if, see the key here is, look, here, here it is, Jeremiah 33, 3, God says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. This is what God's saying in effect. He's saying, call me. But you've got to pick up the phone. For some of you, it means flip it open and then dial in, whatever it is. But you, God said, call me. Call me. But if you don't stop, if you don't take a little time just to be with God, if you don't do this on a consistent basis, and I know you're busy, 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 you, you think you just don't have time. Yes, you do. 
And you don't have to do this, but if you skimp on your inner work, your outer work will suffer as well. Second one, not only should we stop, but then the O stands, we, we have to open up. Sometimes I see people do this, and it always kind of bothers me a little bit. Is I'll see people, they go, well, you know what, I'm going to spend some time with God, but then they'll tell me about it, and I, I've actually had this experience, and they got real religious. It's like they, 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 they think they should pray some prayer that they read in an old prayer book somewhere, so it's like they're going, oh, gracious and most heavenly God in heaven, you know, and they're, they're like some preacher they heard 100 years ago or whatever, stop doing that. God knows you. He knows the kind of language you use in everyday life, all right? He already knows it. And God's not put off by who you are. He loves you. You are his beloved. And so just be honest with him. Open up with him. Look, if, I think one of the big problems is sometimes we just don't want to face stuff that's really nasty in our lives. We don't want to deal with it. But the best place to take the dark spots in your life are directly to God because he already knows them anyhow. Amen? And then you open up with them. And that's where you start to find healing. Look, I, I wrote this down. I don't want you to miss this. Hiding is not an option if you want healing. Hiding is not an option if you want healing. What is it our friends in AA say? Step one. First, you have to admit that what? That you've got a problem. That you have a problem. Hiding can never be an option. So you have to stop. You have to take time. And I think you have to do it on a regular basis. You have to be open with God. Wherever you're at, God, I am so angry. I am so frustrated. I am so confused. Whatever it is, just be open with God. Be honest with him about it. Open up. And then the third thing is, is just make sure that you are actually acknowledging him. And by that, I mean you don't just do, this is, this is the one I struggle with probably more than anything else, is that I've been faithful now. I probably don't miss one, two days max in a year where I don't have time with God, a, a, a fair amount of time. And I will read scripture, I will read a devotional, I, will, I have a prayer list. You know, people kind of rotate on and off my prayer list. I go through all these things. It looks really good. But this is what I'm sometimes guilty of. I go through these things, and then it's like I close the book, if you will, or I say, good talking to you. And what I really did, uh, I realize a lot of you didn't understand what that was. Being old is one of the things in life that sucks, all right? Let's just be up front. I hung up. What I didn't affect was I, I said all these things, but that I didn't say, what is it you want to say to me? And you know the truth is, I need to talk less and listen more when it comes to God because he's got the words of wisdom. So you acknowledge him. You take time. You listen through scripture. You read a devotional. You pray. You talk to him. You open up. You, you acknowledge him. It, this is soaking. And the last one, the K, it stands for the idea that you have to keep on. Here, here's what I know about this. And this, this, is, this is what so many of us do. We say, you know, he's right. I really need to have daily time. I tried it once a long time ago, but, but I'm going to go back to it. Can I just tell you how it's going to go? Just like your last exercise program or your last diet. Come on, is it true? 
See, because what happens is we're well-intentioned, but then a hurricane hits us, and hurricanes happen in life on a regular basis, and they blow everything off kilter, and then we, we, we've kind of lost the rhythm of our life, and when we finally get back into it, we've left that thing back there behind. Here's the difference. This is one you can't afford. If you miss exercising, big deal. This one, if you skimp on the inner work, you also hurt the outer work. You can't skimp on this one, guys. Because if you do, it affects everything in your life. And then you're blaming everybody and everything around you for how hard life is and how tough it is. And so much of it's your own dang fault because you won't take time to do the inner work. Do you know what Proverbs 4.23 says? It says, above all else, guard your heart. Now that's fascinating. Above all else, you keep on. You keep on. And this is why I'm such an advocate for life groups. Because in life groups, often we encourage and challenge each other to keep doing what we know we should, but we lose sight of. This is why I think camp and going to student ministry fusion, our fusion program is so important because other students challenge and encourage us to keep doing what we know we should be doing. We need each other, but we need to be doing the inner work so that when the hard times hit, it's right in front of us. I am the beloved. And I may not like this moment, but I like this God. And he loves me. And so it will be okay. And that's what we need in our hearts. Amen? Amen. All right. Done preaching. Let's stand to our feet and we'll close with prayer. And we'll have people in front who'd love to pray with you if you have a prayer request. So God, now, now, help us to take this stuff we've heard and maybe there's one tiny piece we can make application. One thing. Maybe it's we begin to start having time with you each day. Maybe it's we get solid about it. Whatever it is, help us. And help us to walk through our days with this constant memory, this constant truth in front of us. We are your beloved. So amazing. We love you. Now we go out with our heads up and our hearts full. In Jesus' name, let's say together, amen, amen. Have a great day. Happy Father's Day, dads.